Good. Well, let's pray together and uh, open up God's word this morning. It's true, Lord, you're in control of everything. Everything. And we can rest in your flawless wisdom and your perfect love and goodness. Thank you, Lord. And just thank you for what a rich time we've had already. What rich worship. And this sharing has been so good. And Lord, would you come now? Help me as I want to unfold this scripture. And would you, would you speak exactly what each of us needs to hear directly into our hearts from your word, I pray today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're celebrating Christmas, obviously. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, Christmas is just really an interesting phenomenon. Uh, because this week, and, and I mean, all around the world, people are putting up Christmas trees, and they're, they're giving presents to each other, and they're singing songs about, you know, Santa Claus and Jesus being born and chestnuts roasting, and it's something that's just all over the whole world. And so, you know, I thought I would just do a little research on where Christmas started. Like, where did this all come from, this global phenomenon that's here now? And the story's a little bit complicated, a little bit murky. But let me just, the two main threads, as I could figure this out, in the 1500s, some followers of Jesus in Germany decided that they would take a day in December to celebrate Jesus' birth. Okay, Martin Luther was part of that, and they, so they started celebrating Jesus' birth yearly, in December, and in German, this day was called Christkindl. Anybody speak German knows what that means? Anyway, okay, all right. And, and then when German immigrants came over to this country, they brought Christkindl with them, okay? And so that started to spread. So then where did Santa Claus come from? Well, this is a fascinating story. Santa Claus all is traced back to a man named Nicholas, a real flesh-and-blood historical man named Nicholas who lived in Turkey in the 300s A.D., he had been powerfully saved by trusting Jesus Christ. He loved Christ. And Jesus had so filled his heart that he did what, what followers of Jesus are called to do. He, he just cared for the poor. He gave money away to the poor and the needy and had such a reputation that years later, the Catholic Church canonized him, uh, called him Saint Nicholas, and established a day every December to celebrate his birth as a man saved by God through Jesus Christ, who cared for the the poor. Now in Dutch, you tracking with me here? Okay, St. Nicholas is translated Sinderklaas. Okay, and so Dutch people who immigrated over here brought Sinderklaas to us. Okay, so so then start stirring the pot. So here's America, and and so... uh, Christ Kindle then in this country was Americanized into Chris Kringle, okay? And Cinder Claus, Americanized, secularized, became Santa Claus. And then in the late 1800s, Macy's decided to do an advertising campaign to take advantage of this thing. And that's when, at least as far as I could tell from Wikipedia, Santa Claus first came in as kind of a major advertising thrust. So, but notice you can trace all of this back through St. Nicholas, Jesus capturing his heart, his love for Jesus Christ. And then in the 1500s, Chris Kindle, that's a celebration of Jesus' birth. It all goes back to Jesus Christ. And you knew that. That's why we're here. But it all, all of Christmas goes back to Jesus being born 2,000 years ago. And so just like Janie shared about this person who says, well, who, who is the baby Jesus? Who is this baby? 
that all of this global phenomenon has its ultimate origins, although, of course, he's gotten, in many sad senses, lost in the shuffle. But who is this Jesus that was born 2,000 years ago? And what is the significance of his coming and being born? That's what I want to talk about this morning from, from the Bible, God's Word. I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And uh, like I always say, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll, we want to pass one out to you. So do, be bold. We'd like you all to be able to look this up and study along with us in the Scriptures, in God's Word this morning. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it's on page 1002 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now some of you here might, might wonder why we should pay any attention to this old, dusty book, the Bible. Fair question. Um, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we just want to say we're glad you're here. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more. But let me just, you know, that question, why do we believe that this Bible is the word of God, that, that this book, which was written by men, but God gave them the exact truths to write, so this book is truth directly from God himself, why do we believe that? That deserves a long answer. Let me just give you four quick answers, okay? Just, just so you can kind of get a sense of where we're coming from. One reason that I believe that this book is the Word of God is because this book, first of all, says that it's the Word of God. That doesn't prove it, okay? But that should, like, pique your interest, right? This book says it's truth directly from God. That's one reason. Second reason is because the first half of this book contains dozens of prophecies. Some of them were read this morning, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9. But the first half of this book contains dozens of prophecies. 2000 BC, 1300 BC, 1000 BC, 700 BC, Isaiah 7, 14. The first half of this book contains dozens of prophecies which were completely fulfilled historically as described in the second half of the book. Only God can say, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then hundreds and thousands of years later, it happens. Third reason. You can look at all the hard data from archaeology and history, and all the hard data corroborates the archaeology and the locations and the geography and the history that's described in this book. Support. And then the most important reason, the fourth reason is that in this book, when I read this book humbly, earnestly, with, with surrender to God, doesn't always happen, but there's been many times where I have met God himself in the truth of this book. God is self-attesting. Like if you, if you met God this afternoon, you wouldn't need to say, how do I know you're God? You'd know. You'd know. When you meet God in the pages of Scripture, it's God. So that's why we love this book here at Mercy Hill Church. And that's why we want to see what God had the author of Hebrews write to us in verses 14 and 15 about the birth of Jesus. So let's read these verses. Here's what he says. Since, therefore, the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, humanity, physical, human nature, human bodies, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Flesh and blood, human nature, human body. That through death, 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, nothing about a manger here in this passage, nothing about wise men or even Mary and Joseph, but this passage talks about the birth of Jesus. He partook of flesh and blood. Now, to understand how amazing that is, we've got to see something else that this passage teaches about Jesus. And what this passage teaches is that before Jesus partook of flesh and blood, before he became human, he existed. He existed before he was born. The reason I say that is notice that phrase, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus partook of flesh and blood. Okay, you didn't do that. The moment you were flesh and blood was the moment your existence began. Okay, Jesus existed before he partook of flesh and blood. He was there, and then he partook of flesh and blood, which shows that Jesus lived, was existing before he was born. Now, this is crucial for us to understand Christmas. Before Jesus was born, he existed. In, in John chapter 8, verse 58, he says an amazing statement. Before Abraham was, I'm sorry, before Abraham was, I am, he says. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ. So here Jesus is saying, before Abraham lived, 2000 BC, I am. Jesus existed way, 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 way back He's always existed. Now, how is that possible? You and I don't. How could Jesus do it? It's because he's fully God. Jesus Christ, before he was born in the manger, was fully God. Now, like I I said last week, the Bible teaches that the one God is three persons. A lot of mystery here, but it's crucial that you get this. And it's not that each person is one-third of who God is, so you've got to get them all three together to get the whole package. Each person of the Trinity is fully God. God the Father is fully God. God the Holy Spirit in himself, fully God. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is fully God. And so, before Jesus was born as a baby, he was fully God. Now, now just, just try to go back in time before Jesus was born, eternity passed. You can go back a hundred billion thousand million years. There was never a time when Jesus was not because God has always existed and Jesus is fully God. And so as fully God, Jesus has always been. I mean, just, I know that kind of blows our minds, but you can go back as far as you want and you will never find a time when Jesus Christ didn't exist. So think about that. He's, he's always been. And he's always been, as God, with infinite power and sovereign authority over everything. I just want you to get a picture of who this Jesus is we're talking about. Infinite power. Sovereign authority over everything. Now, to me, the clearest picture of, just to give you a little glimpse of what that means. Remember a year ago we did our series and we talked about the the universe that God has created and how big it is? I just want to remind you what we talked about. I just love talking about this because Jesus created. All things were created through Jesus. The Father created everything through him we saw in last week's passage in Hebrews 1. So think of what Jesus has created. Everything was created through Jesus. Think of the size of the universe. Uh, If you were to travel around the globe, imagine, that would take a long time, right? Okay, trip around the globe would take a long time. 
if you travel around the globe 240 million times, okay, that's one light year. Got this? 240 million trips around the globe is one light year. Scientists tell us, that's a scientist rendition of our Milky Way, that our Milky Way is 100, make sure I get this right here. Yes, it's 100,000 light years wide. Our galaxy, which Jesus created. So our galaxy, which Jesus created, is 100,000 100, sets of 240 million trips around the globe wide. Okay? And scientists tell us that there's 500 million of these galaxies in the universe. All things were created through Jesus Christ. He was fully God, had always been, and creating a universe of that size gives you just a little glimpse of the being that we are dealing with here. He's awesome. Awesome. You can't imagine how powerful and big and sovereign he is. He existed before he was born as a baby. And then he did something amazing. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus partook of flesh and blood. He became a man. So Jesus who was fully God became a man. Now, this doesn't mean he ever stopped being God. It's not like he was God, 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 stop, man, 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 man. No, God, 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 and then he took on human nature, human body, and he was fully God and fully man the whole time. Okay? 100% God. Colossians says the fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. 100% God, 100% Man, So he was fully man. In the Gospels we read in John 4 that he became tired. Okay? He felt hunger. It's because he was fully man. Now, now what about that carol? We didn't sing it this morning. I don't mind if we, if we would have. But what about that carol that says, talks about baby Jesus, no crying he makes? I don't think so. I think Jesus cried and did everything else that babies do. He was fully man. Okay? So get this. Fully God Fully man. It's not like he ever cried. Fully God and fully man. So here's the picture. This baby, born 2,000 years ago, and here we have a little... This is... I'm not sure if he would have... Maybe he did. Okay, I don't know. All right. Okay. So this baby born 2,000 years ago, I mean, see... This is why we're singing these songs. This is why the shepherds were in awe. This is why the wise men were there on bended knee. Our creator has come. God was born as a man. Now some of you have, have seriously struggled with whether, you know, you, you, don't, you don't doubt that there's a God, but you've seriously struggled with whether God is, is really that involved in our world. Is he really that involved in our circumstances? Is he really that involved in our lives? You've wondered about that. And I just want to ask you, can you get any more involved than this? I don't see how God could have become any more involved and could have shown you any more clearly how involved he is in this world. Here's your God. Okay? 
I love that. So be encouraged. He is so involved and he, he loves you so much and he's so involved in your every circumstance and every problem and every need. Okay, now, now why did he do this though? Why, did he, why was he born? Read verses 14 and 15 again. Here's why. Since therefore the children, it's us, share in flesh and blood, human nature, human bodies, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus became a man so that by dying he could destroy the devil and deliver us. Okay, now you're thinking, devil? What's this about the devil? You guys believe in a devil? This is God's word. And I, and I do believe that there's, a, that there's a devil. Yes, I do. Uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that there's a devil, personal, spiritual being, um, far more powerful than we are, apart from Christ. Okay? Not in any way equal to God. God created the devil. The devil's like so infinitely less powerful than God. He's like a little speck of dust under God's big toe. Even, even less than that. So the devil, just, God's not the slightest bit worried about the devil. Okay? The devil is completely under God's sovereign control. Can do only what God allows him to do. Like in the book of Job. Right? He has to ask permission. But there's a real devil. He's completely malevolent. 100% pure evil. And here we read that the devil has the power of death. Did you know that? The devil has the power of death. Now what does that mean? Where did he get that? What is that? What's going on? First of all, if you're trusting Jesus, he does not have the power of death over you. Okay? All right, so now you can sit back and just ponder what this means. But the devil does have the power of death over everyone who's not trusting Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Okay, it all goes back to the, to the problem of sin. We've all rebelled against an infinitely loving, good, wise, powerful, awesome, beautiful God. We've all rebelled against an infinitely glorious God. And God's justice, because he's just, demands, justly, rightly demands that a payment of infinite punishment and death be paid. God's justice, because we've, we've turned our backs on an infinitely glorious God, God's justice rightly demands that an infinite payment of punishment and death be paid. And that's, that's hell, okay? And so God in his sovereignty, what, is, what he did was he allowed the devil to have the power to cast people into hell after they die. In God's sovereignty, he allowed the devil to have that power. And when the devil's work of casting people into hell is done, God's going to cast the devil into hell. Now, don't some people think that like devil, he's kind of like the ruler of hell. No, 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 no. God rules hell. The devil will end up in hell being punished by God forever. So don't make any mistakes about that point. But the devil has the, the power of death. But now these verses say that Jesus destroyed the devil... And delivers us. How did he do that? Try to think of an analogy. Picture the devil. He's, he's, like, he's like, like a robot, okay? 
And somebody dies, and he takes that person, and he casts them into hell. Takes that person, these people aren't trusting Jesus, cast them into hell. Okay, Takes that person, cast them into hell. Now, what powers this robot doing this is a power cord that's plugged into the outlet of God's justice. The only reason that the devil has any power to cast people into hell is because of God's justice. God's justice demands that these people pay an infinite debt of punishment and death. And so his power cord is plugged into the outlet, which gives him the power to cast people into hell. Okay? Got that, that picture? Now, if someone could pay the penalty that you and I deserve the penalty of infinite punishment and death, then God's justice would be satisfied. Right? God's justice would be satisfied. If someone could pay that infinite punishment and death, God's justice would be satisfied, and the plug would be unplugged from God's justice. Okay? So, here's the robot, he's plugged in, but then if it's unplugged, it stops. Passed by into glory. See that works? We need someone to pay an infinite penalty of punishment and death if we're going to be delivered, saved. So who could pay infinite punishment and death? Well, no no human being could do that because they're not infinite. No angel could do that because they're not infinite. Only God's infinite, right? But, but God can't die, right? God's immortal, God's indestructible. So, but wait a minute. What if, what if God would be willing to take on human nature and a human body that could suffer and die? What if he could take on flesh and blood and himself pay the infinite punishment and death that we each deserve. What if, what if God would be willing to do that? If he could, if he would, then God's justice would be satisfied for those who are trusting Christ. God's justice would be satisfied. The power plug would be pulled out of the wall. Satan would no longer have the power of death over you. You could be forgiven. See, that's why Jesus became a man. We sang about it in a number of our songs this morning. He put on a human body and a human nature precisely so he could die. He put on skin precisely because it could be scourged. And flesh precisely because it could be flayed. And a skull and skin and nerves which could experience a crown of thorn crushing in upon it and nerves that could scream with pain and a body that could suffer and die that's that's why that's why he was born as a man was so he could die that's what he's done for us so here's what that means when jesus died on the cross the infinite Punishment, the death, the penalty that you owe is paid in full by another. And so, here's what happens. The moment in your life, the split second in your life, when you repent of your rebellion against God and surrender your life completely in 
trust to Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, treasure, the moment you do that, unplugged, Satan has no power of death over you whatsoever. Now, it doesn't mean you won't die. Okay, You will still die physically, but for those who are trusting Jesus Christ, death is an entirely different ballgame. Entirely different. First of all, because Jesus has paid for your sins, and you've been born again, and you've been adopted into God's family, you know God's love, Jesus will provide everything you need, all the grace you need, all the, all the comfort, all the strength you need, everything you need on your deathbed, he will provide for you. He is in sovereign control over how you die. Your days are written in the, in the book before the foundations of the world. He has ordained exactly how you will die. Doesn't mean it'll necessarily be easy. Just like life here isn't easy. He ordains trials into our lives, but in every difficulty, he provides all the grace that we need, all of his nearness that we need, all of his strength and love that we need, and he has ordained exactly this, the right way that each of us should die in order for his greatest glory and our greatest joy. So you don't need to fear the experience of death at all. And then not only that, when you do die, when you do die, you don't face any punishments. There's no rehabilitation period for a little while. It's like, well, you got to stick over here for a little while until we kind of get you worked out. No, no. Immediately, because all your sins are paid for, there's no purgatory. You're immediately entered into God's presence and you know his love and you know his goodness and you know his care. He wipes every tear from your eyes. You see him, you behold him, you're filled, you're satisfied. Death is an entirely different experience for somebody who's trusting Jesus Christ. What does this mean for us? This means that because of Jesus, you don't need to fear death. That's what I want you to get this morning. Because of Jesus being born 2,000 years ago, this Christmas, the reason he came was so you wouldn't need to fear death. He loves you. He cares about you. You don't need to fear death. Now, there's three kinds of people. Jan, we were talking about this yesterday. She's going to help me crystallize this. There's three kinds of people. There's those who don't trust Jesus and do fear death. Okay? Secondly, there's those who do trust Jesus and do fear death. Right? And then thirdly, there's those who do trust Jesus and don't fear death. That covers everybody. All right? So let's just take those one at a time. Some of you here, I would guess, in a, in a group this size, you, you don't trust Jesus and you, and you do fear death. It doesn't mean you're constantly, consciously, no, 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 about death. But you, you fill your life so that you don't need to think about that. Because deep down inside, like Paul says in Romans 1, we all know that we've lived lives worthy of eternal death. And so you just do all you can to not think about it. Okay? But you should fear it. You should fear it. And, and this isn't like scare tactics. This is just reality. This is just, just truth. This is what God's word teaches but you, you don't need to fear death anymore if, huge if, big if, you don't need to fear death anymore if you will own up to the truth of who God is in Jesus, repent of your rebellion, surrender your life fully to him, trusting him, his death to forgive you, his power to change you, 
His promise is to satisfy you, guide you, provide for you, comfort you, strengthen you, resurrect you. Okay? You can be completely free from the fear of death. And it's not just fear of death that you're freed from. The passage doesn't mention this, but the life you live now will be profoundly different because you will know God as your Father through Jesus Christ. And He will guide you. He will love you. He will provide for you. He will strengthen you. He will satisfy you. He will fill you. So that's what I want to urge you. If you are not trusting Jesus, which means you're, you're, you're fearful or you should be fearful of death, you don't need to leave here the same way. Trust him. Trust him. Look at what he's done. He is this involved in your life. He loves you this much. The only way that they can be saved, Father, is if, is if I go and take on humanity and that you pour out upon me in suffering and death what they deserve. Broke the Father's heart, but he said, yes, 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 son, yes. He loves you. Trust him. Trust him. Others of you, though, you, you do trust Jesus, but you still fear death. Okay? Now, the problem is, at this point, you're thinking, oh, man, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just a lousy Christian. Um, and you, you kind of start doing the whole beat yourself up kind of thing. And I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've got, to be, I've got to be more committed. I've got, to, I've got to stop fearing death. Okay, I'm going to really just try to stop thinking about death. And I'm just, I, I've got to think right. I've got to think differently about this. That's not the point. If you trust Jesus and you fear death, I've got some good news for you. Here's a quote from John Calvin, theological heavyweight, late 1500s, Geneva, Switzerland. Here's what he said. I was really struck by this this week. He said, if anyone cannot set his mind at rest by disregarding death, just a long way of saying, if you're afraid of death, okay, that man would know that he has not yet gone far enough in the faith of Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus, but you still fear death, you haven't gone far enough in trusting Jesus. The, the, the problem isn't that you just got to will, you know, kind of crank up your willpower a little more to become more committed and stop thinking about death. The problem is you just look at Jesus. Look at who Jesus is. You're not seeing all of Jesus. And just like, it, I think everything in the Christian life is about this. The, the root problem we have is we don't see and trust Jesus enough. So don't look at yourself and beat yourself up. Look at Jesus. Because if you will see Jesus in his fullness and trust him more fully, you'll be freed from the fear of death. Let me tell you some things you're not trusting about Jesus if you fear death. Some of you probably fear death. Um, it's, it's the process of death that you, you fear. I can fear that, you know. But again, I want to tell you, your death, your passing, your home going, the, the, the circumstances of that are completely under God's control. Just like Ali shared about the wind blowing trees, your circumstances of dying are completely under his control. He's infinitely wise. And you can see from Jesus his passionate love for you. And so you can trust this is not out of control. This is in God's 
hands completely. And that he promises, like in everything else in life, to give you all the grace you need to die well. You will not be alone on your deathbed. I will never leave you or forsake you. He will give you the strength, the peace, the trust. It's like, what if I stop believing right then? He'll give you this faith. It's all from him anyway, right? He gives faith. He gives us all we need. And so he will give you everything you need. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 applies to the difficulties of dying, possibly as to any other difficulty. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And I get this next line. God is faithful. God is what? God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. First Corinthians 10, 13. Memorize that one. You will never face a temptation in life or in death that by God's grace you won't be enabled to more than conquer through. So you don't need to fear the process of death. Some of you are afraid of the process of death. And John Calvin, what did he say? You've not yet gone far enough in the faith of Christ, in, 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 the, in the faith of Christ, if that's you. Others of you, even though you've understood the gospel, you still have this nagging fear that punishment awaits. Now, it may be that you're not really trusting Jesus. I, I, should, I should clarify this also. You, you know, going to church isn't the same as trusting Jesus, right? And trying to be good is not the same as trusting Jesus. And believing doctrines about Jesus is not the same as trusting Jesus, right? You can go to church, try to be good, and believe doctrines about Jesus and not be trusting Jesus. You've got to trust him. You, t- you take your life and you place it in his hands. All of your life. You're my Lord. You call the shots from now on. You're my Savior. The only way I can be accepted by the Father is through your shed blood and righteousness. And you're my treasure. You are my heart's satisfaction. We don't, we don't trust him perfectly in this life, but you trust him. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus, all your sins are paid for. You're clothed with his perfect righteousness. And when God sees you, he's smiling. Smiling. Not because you've been perfect. Not because you've been without sin. But because you've trusted his son. You're clothed with Jesus' righteousness. He loves you. You're accepted. So if you're trusting Jesus, you don't need to fear punishment after death. Others of you fear that death is going to mean, how do I put this, terribly missing things in this life. You don't want to, you don't want to go. Let me tell you, when you see God Revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, just like Dave was sharing, I'll be on our knees before him. When you see God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, no longer through a mirror dimly, but face to face, you will almost forget about everything here on the earth. <laughs> he is your creator. Your heart was created to rejoice in him. Every joy on the earth is just a shadow just a little sense of what it's like to be rejoicing in God. And you won't miss anything. You won't miss Nintendo. You won't miss sex. Okay? You won't miss anything. 
And I said, you'll, you'll almost forget. You won't forget things people care for, but your heart will be so captured in Jesus Christ, in the joy of worshiping this magnificent being. You'll almost forget about everything else on the earth. So you don't need to be afraid of dying. So if you're trusting Jesus, but you're still fearing death, you have not gone far enough in trusting Jesus. So don't beat yourself up. Look at Jesus more. This week, open up your scriptures and look at Jesus more. See who he is more. You're not seeing enough of Jesus if you're still fearing death. And when you do that, your heart will be changed and you will trust Jesus and you will not fear death. That's why Jesus came. You'll trust Jesus and you'll not fear death. You'll become like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Finished reading his book three weeks ago. uh, The book about his life. Little story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we talked about him before because I've been reading this book talking to you about it. Uh, Strong follower of Jesus. Jesus had saved him, changed his heart, uh, forgiven him. And he lived in Germany during World War II. And uh, was a pastor, uh, theologian, writer. But he became convinced that Jesus called him to join the resistance and, and, and support a plot to kill Hitler. And he, along with the other guys in the plot, were arrested and thrown into prison. And they were executed. Now listen to how Dietrich Bonhoeffer responded when it became time for them to execute him. This really struck me. So this is from Eric Metaxas' book, and he, he, he read a book from another guy who was in the cell with Bonhoeffer. Okay, so they're in the cell, and Bonhoeffer had just finished leading a worship service. Okay, had just finished, and here's what this book says. He'd hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened, and two evil-looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, Get ready to come with us. And he writes, These words come with us. For all prisoners, they had come to mean one thing only. The scaffold. Where he was going to be hung. We bade him goodbye. He, Bonhoeffer, drew me aside. This is the end, he said. For me, the beginning of life. Ten minutes later, he was with the Lord. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer trusted Jesus fully. Jesus became a man so that he could suffer, so that he could die, so that he could pay the penalty of infinite punishment and death that you owe and that I owe, so that if we trust him, The debt will be paid. Satan's power of death, the plug will be pulled. Satan has no power over us. And when we die, we're welcomed into God's presence forever. Bonhoeffer trusted Jesus and had no fear of death. If you will trust Jesus, you need have no fear of death. None. So trust Jesus. Trust him. Trust him fully. Trust him today. Trust him right now. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us.
I pray, first of all, Father, that to glorify your Son, Jesus, that right now you'd bring your power upon us, and especially bring your power upon those here who've, who've not yet bent the knee before you, before your Son, in, in trust, in faith. And I, I pray, Lord, that right now you would move them to do that. Just do that, Lord, by your sovereign, heart-changing power. Right now, Lord. Oh, thank you. I just, I just want to tell you, if, if, you're, if you're not seeing this, if you're, not, if you're not seeing what we're talking about about Jesus, the reason is the same reason I wasn't years ago. And it's because of our sin. So ask, ask Jesus right now, would you show yourself to me? I, I turn away from my rebellion. Help me, change me. He will do that for you right now. So Father, come and do that, I pray. And I pray, Lord, also for those here who are trusting you, but to be honest, they they fear death. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to trust you, Jesus Christ, more fully, to see more clearly who you are, what you promised to do right now. We want to trust you, Jesus, that you will give us all the grace we need to die well. I want to trust you for that. We want to trust you that when we die because of your death, we will be immediately welcomed into the love and the welcoming and the care of God. No punishment ever because you bore it all. Help us to see, Lord, that when we see you face to face, we will almost forget everything here because we'll be so filled, so satisfied. So put that upon us now, I pray. We trust you, Jesus. We want to fight the fight of faith. We don't want to be lax or lukewarm. We want to fight to trust you in these things. And so as we do that, then fill us with that peace that surpasses understanding. Free us from the fear of death which can hold us in in slavery. Fill us with the certain hope of, of eternity. And then as we are filled with hope, then free us, Lord, to forgive. Free us to care for the poor. Free us to share the gospel. Free us to fight against temptation. Let that peace and that freedom from fear transform our lives even more. I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.